This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. It's time for another unbiased, in-depth episode of The Drop Podcast. Our focus is on the St. Louis Blues, but we also delve into other topics from around the NHL. So when the ref hands out that game misconduct penalty, tell him you don't care because you wanted to listen to the latest episode of The Drop anyway. Here's your host, Lance Descott. Welcome to another edition of The Drop Podcast. As always, I am your host, Lance Descott. Well, Blues fans out there had a very interesting, very interesting weekend. Everybody thought that Ryan O'Reilly was going to be traded on Saturday. It finally happened. It was an up and down weekend. To talk more about the Blues uh, acquisitions and trades, I've got the two guys that have a great podcast. It's called the Two Guys No Cup Podcast. Uh, Ian and Steven are joining me to talk about the Blues uh, free agency signings and trades, and then we're also going to talk about some other stuff with uh, people such as John Tavares. Welcome to the show, Ian and Steven. It's great to have you. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having us. Great to be here. Well, I don't know if you guys were like me, but uh, I was pretty negative after the Blues announced their so-called two big moves, and of course of Bozak and then of Perron, and most people thought after that, from what everybody was saying, uh, uh, Pierre Lebron and other people within the NHL network were saying the Blues weren't going to go after O'Reilly. But they ended up doing it, and it was just a fun weekend. Uh, what was your guys' reaction to that weekend, uh, Ian, to start with you? Um, man, before the O'Reilly trade, it was it was looking dicey for me, just in terms of improvements. I was hoping we would get a center and a right wing to sort of fill out a second and third line and Armstrong did that. He got Bozak for a center and uh, Perron for essentially what I would assume would be our right wing. And it looked okay. It looked kind of like the whole point was we were going to be a team that was afloat with these guys and kind of wait for the kid movement of uh, Cairo and Thomas to move up in the lineup over the years. But it definitely felt like a move with not a lot of direction, maybe not of ma- maybe not a lot of magnitude to the direction, I guess. And so, yeah, I was kind of left with wanting a little more. I just, I was going to say he, he said pretty much how I was feeling. I mean, yeah, we were not pleased at the time. And I think anytime, you know, you tend to overreact and then you kind of process and you sort of adjust and, and, you know, by the end of the afternoon, I was like, okay, this is, you know, it's not, exciting it's not great but you know Perron yeah he's a retread but he just had a career season and you know what you're getting out of him and he really wants to be here you know Bozak good at face-offs you know you were selling yourself on things and and we were trying to convince ourselves hey this is you know not the end of the world but it definitely was a little it just felt flat I think was, was the right word for it it just felt like okay you made moves you improved yourself technically but it just doesn't seem exciting in any particular way i think that's a perfect perfect way to look at it i wasn't overwhelmed uh, yeah i like david perron but you know i, people, I agree. yeah people look at him he's he's a decent player is he a great player no but he's a guy that can give you in most seasons 10 to 15 goals 25 35 assists you know he had a career year last year at 66, 67 points. So I wasn't overwhelmed with it. And I was a little upset because that was supposed to be their, their you know, their big move. And 
one of the things that, that you brought up was uh, the fact that the blues are having a hard time getting people to come there. So one thing I was thinking was, Hey, at least they got Perron to come back because they weren't able to get to Varys and anybody else to come and even talk to him really. And it was just nice to see somebody come back. But I was like, you guys, I was not overwhelmed in the morning uh, by, by the evening. You know, I was still hearing things about, well, they're not going to get O'Reilly. And then they pulled the trigger on it. And then I started getting a lot of text messages and emails and tweets from people upset about Tage Thompson going. And, you know, I like Tage Thompson, but in my mind, he wasn't going to be a superstar. He just wasn't going to be. I think he's going to be a decent player eventually. I would much rather get rid of Tage Thompson than give up Kyrou, Thomas, or Costin. So that's the way I was looking at giving up Tage Thompson. What do you think about that, uh, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think there was a, a, there was a period there, you know, especially when the rumor mill was swirling and different people were, you know, saying, you know, I have this source, I have that source, whatever, that Thomas or Kyrou might be in the deal. And I was just, I mean, we talked about it on one of our episodes. It just, we really liked Ryan O'Reilly, but it wasn't worth giving up, especially Thomas. And we really weren't comfortable giving up Kyrou. And so when it came down to it and the biggest prospect you give up is Tayish Thompson, I mean, I, it, it's a luxury for the Blues to have a prospect as good as Tage Thompson is and say, you know, oh, he's your fourth best prospect at the moment, you know, and, and who even knows what this year's draft class. So that's a luxury for us. You're able to give Buffalo a good player still, but you're able to protect your really top-tier prospects. I mean, I think that was a great move. I was, I was ecstatic about that part alone. Yeah, I really didn't think we were gonna, we were going to be able to pull that off at all. Yeah, I was I was shocked, and there were still people upset about giving up a first and second rounder, and uh, Berglund and Sabotka. Which, when I seen that, I didn't care about Thompson. I didn't care about the first round the round pick, the second round pick. When I see that Doug Armstrong somehow got a team to take Berglund and Sabotka, I could care less about anything else. I was one of the happiest people on the earth. Now people have called me a Patrick Berglund basher. Uh, Vladimir Saboka basher. I'm not a basher. Well, the way I look at it is, and we'll get your comments in a minute, is that Sabotka, before he went to the KHL, in my mind was still a third a third line guy, but it seemed like he had a lot of heart, was always playing physical, was just always gritty mm-hmm. in the middle of the play. When he came back from the KHL, not the same player. Now, he played well in that series against Minnesota in the playoffs, but after that and since then, He's not been the same player. Berglund, super nice guy. I've met Patrick Berglund, very quiet guy, not a leader type of a guy, not a physical guy, even though he's 6'3 and 240. Um, showed up maybe three weeks out of the year, he'd have four goals, and all of a sudden, three weeks later, he's got 14 goals. And I don't think the Blues really hurt themselves at all giving up those two guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um... – yeah, I had I had a little bit of a debate with a, a, a really good friend of mine, really smart guy, knows his hockey, and and he was he said we overpaid by about the price of that second round pick, which I just didn't agree with at all. And I was telling him, you know, you got to look at some of that compensation package to me as saying, you know, here's a little extra to take these guys. And I think, you know, I'm not. I'm the same as you. I'm not a Berglund basher or, you know, a, a Berglund lover. I think I'm just a, a, you know, I'm realist about those guys. And, and I think they have more value to Buffalo to be fair. 
uh, than they do to us at this point, and they need a you know maybe a fresh start. Berglund especially, I kind of wonder if he appealed to uh, Jim Botterill because he's a Swedish player who's been successful, you know, varying degrees in the league for a long time. It might be a good you know kind of uh, shepherd, if you will, for uh, Rasmus Dahlin now that he's there in in Buffalo. But yeah, to get rid of both of those contracts and make this a deal where you know you're basically not even counting Tage Thompson's contract, you know, you're basically sending out as much money as you're bringing in and technically sending out more with Thompson's contract. That was just, I mean, it was just amazing. <laughs> not to praise, uh, you know, Army too much, but it, it was hard to, hard to imagine him doing any better to me. Yeah, if, if, if this works out the way uh, you two guys and myself think this is going to work out, this may be a better deal than the Braden Shen deal. And I I never thought you could do a deal better than that when even though Philadelphia Flyers fans say they, they got the better deal, which just shocks me, he did a better trade than the Shen trade. And I was just totally shocked by it. Um, you know, I, I I never thought after that Braden Shen trade. In fact, I had the same reaction when I seen they finally got O'Reilly. My jaw just dropped. And the same thing that I did when they got Shen and I couldn't believe mm-hmm. it. I was like, no way. No. And and he got rid of Berglund and Sabotka? I was mm-hmm. and I, I tell you, regardless of what else he does for the rest of the year, I'm giving him a pass this year because he's tried to make this team a winning team. Um, you know, there's there's just so much a guy can do. And I think even though I'm not a big Doug Armstrong fan, and you can check back in some of my past podcasts, I'm giving the guy the benefit of the doubt, just like I did after the shin trade to see what the team he put together can do this year. For sure. I mean, it's one of those things where it was, uh, he wanted to shake up this team. I mean, I don't know if you've seen, I forget what it was when they played against Chicago in the second to last game, third to last game and lost towards them. Like with eight seconds left, he got a goal scored on him and he just turned around and he looked absolutely exhausted with this team. And that was the moment where I was like, he, he like knows he has to do something. And he came out and he said he would, and he was kind of quiet, you know, throughout some of these rumors. You know, the Blues name was sort of put around here and there, but you didn't really hear him comment on it too much. Um, and then this sort of came out of nowhere. And I give Army full credit because he was—he changed the makeup of the team. I mean, it's three players. It's two players out. I guess you count Bradziak out now, too. Three players out, three players in. And I'd say you, if you equate one-to-one, he improved the team. Um, while while being able to you know shed people that we were trying to get rid of anyways, I really thought Berglund and Saboka were going to have to be packaged with picks and us getting maybe I don't know just the compensation of having you know a lower pick or a higher pick back, just so we could say well we got rid of them. But the fact that he's able to do it in one fell swoop is pretty darn amazing. Uh, what I had heard and may have just been speculation was just that it was a the Ryan O'Reilly trade was on the table, Armstrong walked away from it at the beginning of the day or didn't like what was going on. They were still demanding Thomas or Cairo or something along those lines. And then he got Bozak and Perron and then Botterill got a little scared and said, Hey, you know, we'll take your uh, first, second and, you know, Thompson, something like that. And he was like, well, I've got these two guys now and I need you to take money off the table for me because I can't take Ryan O'Reilly even if I wanted to. And so then they had to take Brooklyn Zaboka, which I think, even if it's lucky that he lucked into that, I think it's amazing that he was still able to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I 
I, you know, maybe I'm a little bit too much of a pacifist, I guess, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not primarily concerned with my team fleecing another team in a trade. I mean, if that happens, that's fine. But I, I'm never upset if I think the team, you know, the trade is the right move for both teams. And I think in this case, you know, I, I think we got the better end of the deal in the, in the grand scheme, but I don't feel like Buffalo lost on this huge. And that's fine to me, you know, cause if it was, a, if it was a deal with the Blackhawks, which of course would never happen in the first <laughs> place, I'd want them to lose huge, but I have no ill will to the Sabres particularly, you know? And so I just, yeah, I mean, every aspect of this trade I love. And, and as Ian said, if it didn't, if it did unfold that way and, and, and he was able to get rid of two guys who, quite frankly, I think we all know he was interested in getting rid of uh, for whatever reason you want to, you know, there are plenty to speculate about and plenty to just talk about from the stat sheet. But, yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Again, I'm, I don't want to speak too highly of it, but it's, it's pretty impressive. And I don't wish the Sabres any ill will, and I don't wish Patrick Berglund any ill will or Vladimir Sabotka, but I think the Blues got a better a better deal. And a lot of people aren't talking yeah. about this, and I don't know if people know this. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, but you know, Stephen, that that 2019 pick, if it's better than a, a top ten, they don't have to give it up that year. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the little touch in here that that seems almost comical to me. Uh, and obviously, we as Blues fans would much rather give that pick up. We'd much rather, you know. All of us would be very glad if that was the 31st overall pick next year, uh, which, you know, is shooting, shooting for the stars a little bit even still, but hey, you never know. But yeah, I mean, the fact that he, he wrote that protection in there, you know, even as much as at the moment it seems un, unlikely, you know, we lottery protected that uh, pick in the chin trade too, and it seemed laughable, and then, you know, we missed the playoffs and could have won a lottery pick, so... Just the fact that that's on top of everything else, just the little extra bit of like, man, we really, we're just really safe in this trade. We are not going to look terrible in this trade unless Ryan O'Reilly just falls to pieces, which I certainly don't expect. Yeah, I don't think so either. And, you know, we're positive about the trade with the Sabres, but one thing that a lot of people are negative about is the fact the Blues lost Carter Hutton to Buffalo. And I just don't think the Blues thought – and I feel the same way that they do. Carter Hutton's a great guy, a great goalie, but he's never been a starter in his life. He's 32 years old. He filled in for Pekka Rene one year and played great, but that was for, I think, 40 games. But he's averaged between 25 and 35 games a year. And when you've been in the league as long as he's ha- he's been in the league and you're 32 years old, there's not a lot of guys, and there have been some, a few guys, but there's not a lot of guys that all of a sudden at the age of 32, 33 years old become quality starters. And I wish him the best, but I don't know if he can be a full-time starter. Uh, Ian, what do you think? Yeah, his longevity in terms of how many how many games he can start in a season is sort of a question mark. I liked him as a guy here. He did really great when uh, Allen was struggling, but I don't think he was necessarily worth paying as much as he got for the blues, especially when I think we have a pretty decent um, just defensive core in front of them, even forward wise. I think they're pretty good to it players in general that we can sort of structure ourselves to play around sort of any goalie and Carter Hutton. While I like him, I don't think he was anything that the blues need to keep. That was really, you know, making the engine roar 
with just him being back there between the pipes, I think you can always kind of find someone like that. Stephen and I sort of talked about how Chad Johnson, I think, is going to have a pretty good year here. I really do, I think, because the games are so many plays. I think he's going to look pretty good and maybe similar to Carter Hutton in numbers from the last two years. And you're going to go, wow, I, you know, I didn't know Chad Johnson can play like this. And play Paul, if you've got a halfway decent team in front of him, he's going to look pretty good. I'm, I wish Carter Hutton well. I don't know how his numbers are going to hold up up in Buffalo. I just don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just think uh, Carter Hutton, I've, I've, as you said, just an incredibly great person. Uh, had a career year here last year. I think he was first in goals against and first in save percentage among goalies that started, you know, 25 or more games. Obviously, he didn't start 60, so that's a little, still a little inflated. But I mean, just an incredible year. But yeah, I mean, it's they're in a position where they have Linus Allmark, who's supposed to be their goalie of the future, and you know, much like maybe Billy Huso in a year or two, they're going to want to kind of, you know, just just kind of get him into the league, but kind of have a safety net for him. And Carter Hutton's perfect in that role. You know, you can see him being the starter this year and then there being a, you know, a time split next year and then him being a backup in the third year of that deal. That's perfect for them. Um, We talked at length on our episode, you know, and you can, we can talk about it as much as you want, but we talked at length about the Blues goaltending situation and whether that's satisfactorily resolved going into next year. But I don't think Carter Hutton, one way or the other is the resolution there because the the question with our goalie is at the top, not the person who's behind him. And so, yeah, you can't pay a backup goalie $9 million at, you know, for this team right now. And, and I wish him all the best, but yeah, I don't understand the, the angst and letting him move on. I think it's the fact that a lot of people in St. Louis get emotionally attached to the players. And I do too, mm-hmm. but the guys are yeah. going to move on. They're just going to move on. It happens in sports. Heck, Brett Hall, one of the best players to ever play the game, he left us. He went to another team, and it it, it just yep. happens. There's nothing. Wayne Gretzky, in my mind, the greatest player to ever play, he went to several teams. Uh, guys just move around, and you got to be able to handle change. And I think sometimes Blues fans get so attached emotionally to guys that they have a hard time letting them go and they overflate, they overinflate their importance based on how they feel about them in their heart and not what type of hockey players they are. Yeah, that's per I mean, you're exactly right. And it's easier, you know, the flip side is true of Bergwin. We probably tend to, you know, undersell him a little bit because of how we feel about the way he's played lately. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, we just let our, you know, emotions influence a lot of what we think about sport, which is natural, but, Sure. Should be fought against. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if you look at Chad Johnson's stats, I don't know if you guys had, when he's been with a team that has decent uh, defense, he's done pretty well. When he was in Boston in 13-14, he played, uh, I believe, 26, 27 games, had a 2.10 goals against. Then he goes to the Islanders, and, you know, their defense hasn't been good for years. He has a 3.08. Buffalo, uh, the first time he was with them, had a 2.36. He goes to Calgary when Calgary was it's not a good team. They've not been a good team for years. Yeah, they made the playoffs that year. He went to them. But he had a 2.59 goals against, and then he goes to the, one of the most poorest defenses in the league in Buffalo and still is able to have a 3.55. That's not great. But if you look at the team he played with, 
if he was on a good team, that might be back down to 2.4, 2.5 goals a game. Yeah, you look at his career stats, 2.91, you know, 265.915 is league average about. And, you know, for backup goalie who's played on really bad teams, that's, that's fine. And like Ian said, he can talk more about it. But, you know, coming to our defense, he should be in pretty good hands. Yeah, I'm telling you, people are going to be emotionally invested in Chad Johnson this next season. I promise you, they're not going to want to let him go. Yeah, and you know, anytime that uh, Jake Allen falters, whether it's his fault or not, uh, people are going to you know want him in there, and we're going to go through the same thing like we did with uh, Allen and Moose for those years. Mm-hmm. And people are going to, oh, I like Moose, I like yeah. Allen, and it's it's going to be one of those things i think i i see chad johnson probably playing 20 to 25 games if allen plays better than he did last year yeah and to that point i mean people were crushed when we let brian elliott go and you know he's not been good since then and we have jordan cairo as a result so you know that yeah. these things hurt at a time but they can really pay off for you in the long run so the Blues had a very busy Sunday. I think we've all agreed that we're all excited about it. I think most Blues fans are. Didn't start out that way. But another positive thing, the Blues signed Fabry today to a one-year contract for 925000 It's a one-way contract. And I figured, I was telling people, he wouldn't sign for more than $1.1 million. A lot of people thought I was nuts. They thought the Blues would go ahead and give him a three- or four-year contract to uh, – you know, to time down, but in all honesty, Ian, oh, yeah, in all honesty, Ian, with the, with his injuries and I've tried to tell people, I know several orthopedists and they have told me with that type of injury, with the way hockey is and you push off on your legs and your knees take a lot of physical abuse. I mean, hell look at Bobby Orr. He had to retire early and you, you know, your knees are just taking a lot of abuse. And when you're a guy that's got speed and quickness, you rely on that speed and quickness. I wish Robbie Fabry the best, but I'm going to be very cautious with him. I don't expect him to come in and score 20, 25 goals and be the speedy, quick guy he was. Two knee surgeries are really going to really hurt him, Ian. Mm-hmm. I, I've said if he gets 15 goals or more, I put that in the bank. I'd almost, I'd almost go as low sometimes as 10, in all honesty, because it's just even with the knees, if the knees are fine somehow, which I'm doubt they're, you know, perfect. Um, he's just going to be super rusty. Like he hasn't played, he hasn't played for as long as he did play in the NHL, if not longer now. Um, I don't mind him as a third line option for sure, but he's going to, he's going to take some, some time to sort of get that rust off of him. I, I really hope he can bounce back, but I think even if he does, even if the knees feel pretty good, I, I feel bad for him just as an individual because I think this sort of limits where his career can go. And I also think more it limits the length of it. I know for a lot of different um, football players, they'll have ACL injuries. They've talked about how the knee just hardens up after a while. It hardens up a lot sooner than it would um, if they hadn't have torn it and they'd been playing the sport. So it's one of those things where I think it puts kind of a timer on his career and it's, it stinks. But at the same time, I just hope that he's able to get something out of it while he, while he can. And I think the blues have put him in a good position to sort of succeed. He's not, you know, going to be relied on, I hope at least uh, in a top six role to start. And I think they're going to try and ease him back in. I think you kind of have to approach him as if he was a brand new player. You just got to see what you have. You got to put him in a position to succeed 
and you have to you have to see who he gels with. But I think it's also just I think he's been in Toronto rehabbing, and yes. I, it'll be interesting to have him back and um, with the team because I'm sure he keeps in contact and everything. But it's it's a whole different ball of wax when you're you know on the phone or skyping with someone versus <laughs> being in the locker room day in and day out. So I I really hope he gels with the team. I really hope he comes back and bounces back. But I do see a lot of fans that are like, oh, I can't wait for Robbie Fabry to be, you know, he'll be on O'Reilly's, you know, left wing. And I'm like, I just, I don't see it. That's that's shooting for the moon, man. Mm-hmm. And you know, Stephen, I'm sure you remember it, but that injury, when you watch that back again, and I've watched it several times, oh, it's, it's yeah. just terrible to go back and watch that. And I'm sure from the look on his face, you know, in hockey, hockey players, I've played hockey all my life since I was six, seven years old. And of course not professionally, but I've played in organized leagues and everything, and I'm going to tell you something. Hockey players are tough guys, and when you seen the look on his face and how much pain he was in, uh, Stephen, you knew he was hurt bad. Oh yeah, I mean, and and you know, you know, when something's wrong with your body in a serious way, you just know it. And and as a young player, you know that that's got to bring so many thoughts. The first one, especially, was really bad. The second one you know, kind of more scary in a way is with the ACL when you see kind of a non-contact injury, which I think I'm remembering correctly, the second one was, you know, and you just see somebody come up short when they're not by anybody, you almost know that's an ACL situation, you know, because there's not much you can do to your body without hitting anything, you know, to just pop something like that. But yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, one of my biggest fears, I would say one of our biggest fears uh, you know, was before all these moves, the idea of coming into um, this season really relying on Robbie Fabry mm-hmm. for serious production. Mm-hmm. And and that was just not a good situation to put ourselves in if we were thinking about it, you know, especially, you know, even if the knee is relatively strong, I'm not an orthopedist, but, you know, I'm, there's going to be scar tissue in there. It's going to swell. It's going to hurt. You know, it's it, so, you know, we're talking maybe every fifth game or so he's got to sit just for the swelling, for the pain, for the soreness, even if he's basically on the road to strength over time. It just takes so long to, you know, when you've missed two years and that's atrophied that bad, you know, you it just takes forever to get back to, to world-class professional hockey shape. And so, you know, I think we've set him up well. Um, you know, I, I think he's still a piece, you know, I'm, I'm, if we make further trades, I'm not saying he couldn't be involved in them, but if he's here, I think we've set it up well, you know, and I expect him to be here. I think we've set it up well so that he can, you know, find his way into the lineup rather than being thrust into it and, and forced mm-hmm. to play a big role. Sure. And another guy that was injured last year, one of my favorite players, I think he is one of the most underrated players in the NHL. Jaden Schwartz, he come back strong after his injury. Took him a little bit, but this guy has a ceiling that's pretty high. I tell people I think he could score 35, 40 goals in a year if he's healthy with the right people around him. A lot of people think I'm nuts, Steven, but I really think this guy could be a perennial 35 to 40 goal scorer. Yeah, I absolutely think so. Um, I think uh, you look at uh, there was that player's poll last year, and, and Jaden Schwartz ranked pretty high, maybe yes. one, number one overall, but certainly up near the top of of most underrated players. And uh, I think it's appropriate, man. If he can stay healthy for a full 82, you know, I don't think 30 goals certainly is out of the question. And I don't think 
you know, 70 points or so is out of the question. He's creative. He's smart. He, he handles the puck extremely well. And he, you know, he really plays with that edge that you want to see in your players. And it's not a reckless edge, you know, it's just that kind of determination to, um, you know, just to, just to get it right and to play well. And, and, you know, with all his family's been through, you know, he has a lot of, a lot of legacy on his shoulders with his sister and everything that he plays sure. for every night. And you can really see it in, in his demeanor on the ice. And I think he's a player that could just explode for this team. Um, if, you know, if, if it comes through that way, if he stays healthy. And, you know, that last year, I'm sure you guys seen it from watching the games. There was a lot of times where I'd look at this team and I would just go, you know, they've got a lot of talent, but it just looks like some of these guys aren't trying. And some of two of those guys were Berglund and Sabotka. But one thing I could always say after a game was, you know what? Jaden Schwartz tries hard every, every single play. He's out there giving up his body, making hits. He's making great passes. He's scoring goals. He's just that type of guy that works hard. And, you know, Stephen, I think Ryan O'Reilly, even though the fans in Buffalo say he's lazy, he seems like he could be that type of guy, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think there's there's a lot of controversy around him, especially at the end of last year. He made those comments and, you know, the kind of clean out your locker room kind of interviews about, you know, losing the love of the game, playing out there. And, I mean, you know, we always expect – determination and everything from our players but and and it's easier to say it on the outside but how could you not plan for that team as bad as it's been for the last you know five years or so however long he's been there um i i really you know o'reilly did a facetime interview with andy strickland on the yeah, nhl i've seen that i've seen that his website and you i mean you see he's grinning from year to year his, none of his excitement seems fake it all you know he's talking about he wants to get down and explore st louis this week you know I, he's just excited he knows some of the players on the team he knows shin you know schwartz from the world championships yes. last year I, I i could really see him being a reinvigorated player and the kind of player where if you put guys like tarasenko around him schwartz around him whoever he ends up being aligned with i you know i don't want to i don't want to overhype him but He's been getting 60 to 70 points in there with whatever relatively poor, you know, teammates he's been playing with in Buffalo. Imagine what he could do with a Vladimir Saboka, or not a Vladimir Saboka, good God, a Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, uh, yeah, God forbid, but a Vladimir Tarasenko. Um, and, and, you know, on top of everything else, just to throw it in there, probably very legitimately the best face-off man in the league. And that's something the boys have been poor at. And, and he just set a record last year, I think, beating Rob Brindamore or somebody uh, for the most face-offs ever won in the season. So, yeah, I'd seen that. You know, that, that's a skill you cannot underrate, I think, uh, to, bring, to bring to the table with everything else he brings. Yeah, and everybody last year, you know, all we heard about was how strong Winnipeg was in the center position, how strong uh, Nashville was in the center position, how strong the Golden Knights were in the center position. I really think, Stephen, that this year people are going to be talking about the Blues and maybe I'm overhyping them a little bit. They can't be any worse than they were last year when it comes to faceoffs, and they can't be any worse than they were last year when it comes to the power play and to scoring. If this team 
could have just scored one more goal, they would have been in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, we we kind of forget that. And I think that the, the thing we're forgetting going into next year, uh, just because it's such a it's such an unknown and it's not the exciting acquisition, but the way this organization talks about Robert Thomas is honest to God like no prospect I've seen on this team. I, I don't think even including Vladimir Tarasenko. And and just the way I mean the way Doug Armstrong talks about publicly saying, hey, maybe by Christmas this guy's centering a line with Tarasenko and O'Reilly. I mean, to get I mean the idea even of just acquiring a player like O'Reilly and saying, hey, you play on Robert Thomas, the nineteen year old's wing, it's I mean it's it's it honestly makes me almost shake with excitement. Uh, we've been talking about this kid, you know, for a year now and just watching him shoot up prospect rankings and shoot up, you know, when, when and an OHL playoff MVP, uh, you know, the Wayne Gretzky trophy, you know, take his team to the Memorial cup final. I mean, he's just, I'm so excited to watch him play finally. And, and if, if half of the hype about him is real, you know, with him and, and, Bozak and O'Reilly and Shen, I mean, yeah, you've got one of the strongest center cores in the league outside of the team that just added, you know, John Tavares off the Matthews. You may have the single best one. So, yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's very impressive. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm a little bubbly over it myself, but I, I think this, <laughs> I think these guys will be better. I'm trying to be optimistic about it. You know, moving forward, there's so much more going on around the NHL. And, and we talked about it uh, earlier today that rumors going around about teams calling about Pareko, you know, Toronto calling about Pareko, Nylander coming to the Blues plus more. Uh, to, then we talked about uh, a rumor that I confirmed that the Blues have had talks with Ottawa about Carlson and getting Pareko back in return. But, you know, Stephen, they're going to have to have – a contract in place with both those guys if they trade for either Nylander or for Carlson because they both become because a Nylander at least next year becomes a free agent a restricted free agent and and Carlson he's going to become a free agent too yeah I mean it's especially with Carlson I cannot imagine the boys trading uh, Colton Pareko for him as great as he is without an extension at this point uh, we talked about it Ian and I talked about it Last year, you know, maybe around the trade deadline and said, hey, maybe this is something you should look at. And some people even pushed back against it then. Uh, but with the contract Pareko's on, um, I, I can't imagine you do it without an extension for Carlson. And then that's the question mark of whether that's the guy you want to extend and make part of your core. Obviously, he'd, you know, he'd totally change the look and identity of this team. He's that caliber of player. Um but that's a whole different conversation with Nylander. Uh, I, he's an incredibly high young prospect, you know, not even a prospect. He's been playing in the league for a few years. Uh, he's an RFA, so he's at least controlled for a while, you know, whether or not you get a long-term extension with him. Uh, Ian and I talked about extensively, and he can, he can chime in on his side of this just yesterday about what would it take to pry Pareko away and I look at Pareko as, as an incredible luxury, and by that I don't mean enough, you know something that's unnecessary, but just to have a second-pairing defenseman of that caliber behind Alex Petrangelo, that's an insane luxury for a team to have, but it also makes him 
the piece that you can afford to trade if the extreme right deal comes up and if somebody comes to you, you know, if they're talking about Nylander and more, that's something I'd certainly have to listen to because of, of the caliber of that prospect. And, and Ian knows even better, you know, even more about the Maple Leafs than I do. But yeah, I mean, that's something I'd be interested in, but even then you'd have to hammer out the details a bit. Mm, I, I still, I don't know. I'm still not convinced that the Maple Leafs would ever do it. I think the Maple Leafs are confident in their forward group. And I think they're confident that they're, we'll say relatively poor defensive uh, group can get it done. I think they want to see what they have in John Tavares as their big addition before they make other moves. But granted, they also have to kind of make some of these moves because Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, uh, William Nylander all, all need extensions coming up here. So you kind of find some way to get those all under the, under the books. And um, I think Kyle Dubas has said that they're going to find a way. They're going to find some sort of way. They'll probably do the old uh, Blackhawks and trade off some of their even younger prospects to keep the costs low. And I think they're going to try and do that. That's at least where I lean. But if they're offering William Nylander as a possible piece, and again, a piece to a Pareko trade, uh, that's pretty amazing. And I'm, I'm not hanging up the phone on that by any means. Nobody's really untouchable. Yeah, I, you know, I would mm-hmm. say on this team, probably Tarasenko, maybe Shin, but you know, you've got to improve your team. And I love Colton Pareko. He's got a lot of heart. He's a big guy. He's got one of the best shots of a young player in the league, especially for a defenseman. Uh, I think we all wish he'd shoot more, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I I'm always looking, on earth like yeah. More. I'm always wanting to improve the team and you've got to take those calls regardless. Now, you know, you can Mm -hmm. blow them away if they're not serious, but any way you can improve your team, you've got to improve it, Steven. Yeah. And just some notes on Nylander. He's had 61 points each of the last two seasons. He is born in 1996, which is disgusting to me. He's 22 (laughs) years old. Um, And he's a right-handed shot center winger, which, you know, we, we added two. This this week, which is an underhanded or underrated, excuse me, aspect of signing Bozak and, and Perron, both yep. of righties, which we're desperately, desperately short on, and uh, so is Robert Thomas. But, yeah, I mean, as Ian said, Nylander plus is, you know, I, I don't want to trade Colton Pareko necessarily, but that is a package you really have to listen to if it's at all real. Um, and I, th- I mean, all I, what the thing I really think about is people talk about Colton Pareko so much, which to me is a reassurance of what a valuable player you have there. And I think the contract adds to that as well. Um, and when you see people like, you know, Pierre Lebrun, like uh, Elliot Friedman saying, hey, this team should be all in on getting Colton Pareko, you know, as a Blues fan, you may want to push back and say, hey, we should be all in on keeping Colton Pareko. <laughs> but the fact that even those national voices value a Blues player that highly when, you know, maybe they're not as familiar with the Blues as we'd like them to be in generally, that speaks ex- incredibly highly about Colton Pareko and his value too. Yes, it does, because normally all the national media talks about are the Chicago Blackhawks, the Detroit Red Wings, <laughs> And every team on the East Coast, I I got so sick last year, Stephen. And all the candidates. Yeah, I got so sick last year of watching the Flyers, Flyers and Penguins on NBC <laughs> Sports. 
Yep. Flyers, mm-hmm. Penguins, every and Rangers. National game. Is it just a, yeah. I mean, every <laughs> single one of those games, a national game. This this. And I, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to piss him out about it because it's not the end of the world no. to me, but it's the league that's dominated by the Metro division and, and, and the Canadian teams. And, you know, even there, there are times where I'll be listening to a podcast like Puck Soup or something, and I'll hear them even say anything about the Blues, and I'll get weirdly excited, you know. But <laughs> a lot of times it feels like when the Blues are referenced by somebody like that, we're the team that it's like, oh, Pick some team nobody knows anything about. I don't know the Blues, you know, and it's like, oh, well, that kind of hurts. <laughs> but, yeah, I was yeah, watching. It's, it's, uh, I was watching one of the games on NBC Sports, and Jeremy Roenick says something positive about the Blues, and I thought I was gonna, I thought I was gonna fall over, and I, I told my son, <laughs> I told my son, I said, I said, did you hear that? He goes, yeah. What? I said, a Chicago Blackhawk, Jeremy Roenick, who hated the Blues when he played for the Blackhawks mm-hmm. and just got under everybody's skin when he played with the Blackhawks, said something positive about the Blues. Well, what's so big about that? I said, you'll never understand it. Yeah, I'd say Jeremy Roenick always looks like he's uh, has a spoonful of poison in his mouth every time he says anything <laughs> positive. The guy looks like he's being prodded by someone behind the camera to be like, you got to say something, buddy. Come on, you can't just, you're, we're dying up here. Yeah, you, you, you're going to have to contribute something positive sometime. Well, the I, blues... for my part, would have Jeremy Roenick talking about the Blues than Pierre McGuire talking about anyone. So. Let's let's not get you into know. that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, other teams, of course, we were talking about John Tavares and the Maple Leafs. Stephen, I wasn't shocked that he went to the Maple Leafs. For some reason, all the experts on the NHL Network kept saying, "Nope, nope, he's going to stay in New York. He's going to stay in New York." When it got to be two or three days before his time was up where he could get that eight-year contract from the Islanders, I knew he was going to go to Tampa. I'm not Tampa. I knew he was going to go to uh, Toronto. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it felt like, you know, it came down, at least in the rumor mill, to, you know, the final three were kind of Toronto, San Jose, and New York. But the second, especially on Saturday, the second that clock ticked over to Sunday and, and the eight-year extension for New York was off the table, you knew it probably wasn't going to be them. Um yeah, I mean, I think I think the reason for the national media's hesitation is maybe that while adding a player of John Tavares is never a move you can question, um, you know, you, I don't know that what the Maple Leafs most needed. In fact, I'm certain that most, what the Maple Leafs most needed was not more offensive firepower. <laughs> um, obviously, they now have, you know, one of the best forward groups in the entire league, bar none, but they still have, you know, pretty – I don't want to say porous, but I wouldn't say stalwart either. Defensive core uh, and a goalie who I think is 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 decent. You know, I'd probably take him over Jake Allen. He's steadier than Jake Allen, but I don't know that he's going to go out there and steal you games uh, like a Braden Holpe or an Andre Vasilevsky might, or a, you know, a, other guys of that caliber. So you know, if if they can go out there and pot six goals a night and their team the opponent just can't keep up, that's that's great, but that's not how I think you tend to win, uh, especially when the playoffs roll around. And I don't know from that move what sense it makes. I know Kyle Davis has said he's going to keep the core together and all that, but how you can build a defense on top of that, I'm just I'm really suspicious. And I think it was maybe the heart move and not the head move, but we'll see. I mean, it'll certainly be exciting. Yeah, I would think it should be really exciting, but these last couple of years here when Toronto's made the playoffs, I've always thought that they needed a goaltender 
not one that can have a great game every three or four games. They need a guy that come to playoff time uh, like a Mark Andrew Fleury, a guy that shuts you down, has a goals against under two in the playoffs. And I just don't think they have that. And I do think, like you said, that this was a more of a heart move than a head move. And I wish him the best. But, you know, you got to have balance in your team. You need plenty of scoring. But there's going to be nights, even with all that scoring, that they may not score a goal or they may score one or two, two goals. And you need that goalie that night to steal the game for him. And I don't know if if he's that guy uh, getting into other free agents. Um, Ian, Patrick Maroon, your thoughts? Um, bring him home. <laughs> um <laughs> I I wouldn't mind him as on the Blues. I think we talked a little bit about Fabry being a question mark, and I think Maroon could kind of maybe not fill his exact role for what kind of player he is, but must definitely fill that um, hole he would leave in the lineup as a sort of a third line left wing. I I would like him here. I think he's you know a sandpaper guy. I think he's also proven though over the past couple of seasons that he can play with high skill centers. And he can put up points. He's not dragging anybody down by any means. And I think if you have him here on the Blues, you could possibly have Robert Thomas if he's sheltered on the third line, you know, as a center, centering him. And I think that could be like a, a dynamite pairing there. Um, I don't think the Blues have to have him. We definitely have a lot of one-way contracts already. I think you might actually have to make move a body, possibly just to move the body to have a spot for him, but also for to make salary work. So I'd, I'd love to have him. I, me and Steven talked about a little bit earlier too on our podcast that we think he might be, you know, he might not have been signed yet because he's been in contact with the Blues. And the Blues have said, hey, you know, if you hold on a little bit, we might try and make something work out here money-wise, body-wise, so you can uh, be a part of this team. Uh, you know, so let us let us see what we can do here and uh, hold off for us. And he, might, he may have just been doing that these last couple of days because I know he's been supposedly fielding offers from three or four different teams. And I'm sure he's, I mean, there's a team out there that's willing to offer him a chunk of change, I would assume. So I think there's, there's a chance he ends up here, but you know, that'd be cool. I don't know if it's a pipe dream or not, but it'd be interesting for me, I think. Yeah. And you know, I was against it because people kept talking about that would be a big signing for the blues. I wouldn't consider that a big signing. If they add him as a piece, I think they'd be great, but you know, Steven, what gets me is Ryan Reeves got two point seven five million, almost three million. What is Patrick Maroon going to ask? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the big question mark. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, talking about whether it's a big signing or not, I think that's the thing that just when when that Ryan O'Reilly trade went down, the the coin flipped, for lack of a better term, on the whole offseason, where it's like, okay, these other signings make sense in light of this. Uh, as for what he commands, you know, he, he certainly, he certainly can tell people, Hey, look what, what, look what Ryan Reeves got. Uh, you know, with all due respect to Ryan Reeves, who I think we all love Pat Maroon and his agent certainly can say, I'm, I bring a lot more value than him. Uh, but I think the question is that, you know, Ian kind of alluded to is, I don't know why he's still out there. Um, I would say he's the best free agent by a good distance now, uh, that's still available, and I really am kind of curious if he's stalling for, you know, the blues and I don't want to, I don't want to put too much into it, but you know, you know, he, he has to want to come home to where his son is and, and where he grew up. Um, 
And if the Blues said something to him, he's not losing any value sitting for a few days. And the Blues said something to him like, hey, uh, you know, wait for a couple days and let's see if we can clear some space for you. I think he might be willing to wait. As for your question, what he might command, I mean, he, he on the one hand, he's got to look at, uh, you know, um, Ryan Reeves. On the other hand, you know, if he was, especially if he was coming here, he's got to look at David Perron. Um I would think somewhere in that three to three and a half range, maybe if he's taking a hometown discount, I think somebody would probably give him four. Uh, but if the Blues could get him for three uh, million or to three and a half million for, you know, two, maybe three years, that would be probably a really good deal for the Blues to kind of round out the top nine and bring a little bit of that grit that we sorely need. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Now he'd be a nice piece to the puzzle, a little grit. Uh, nice net front presence. I, I think he's a good to have in the locker room. Uh, just as long as it's the right price. Uh, getting to another guy, Stephen. Um, Paul Stasny. And I, 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 I like the Jets story because they're a team that's been down for years. I'm not a Jets fan, but I like the story. Team that's been down for years. They got to the Western Conference Finals. Had a Good, good playoff. Paul Stasny was a big part of that. A day or two before a free agency opens, what do the Jets do? They clear all this cap room because they think they're going to get Stasny, and then he signs with the Golden Knights. Yeah, yeah, that was that one is a puzzler because um, they. Were, I mean, I I thought it was a foregone conclusion after that move trading, you know, Armia and I forget. Uh, was it a goalie they flipped with him? I forget the other piece, but the salary dump piece and picks uh, to clear out that space to Montreal. Yeah, it looked like that was exactly a one-for-one. One. Okay, we're clearing this space for Paul Stastny. Uh, Stastny, I think, probably followed the money a little bit, took better tax break uh, in Nevada, and uh, I don't know what George McPhee saw in the 2016 uh, St. Louis Blues that he thought that is the team that I have to get pieces from, uh, but he paid a lot of money to get Ryan Reese and <laughs> David Perron in free agency this year. So, or not David Perron, excuse me, Paul Stastny. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Stastny, I think when you look at what Bozak got, when you look at what Tavares got, and, and when you look at what Ryan O'Reilly is making as the kind of the three other other centers that were on the move of, you know, of note this summer, um, so far, at least, you know, he he slots in probably closer to O'Reilly than he should, but he should, you know, slot in right between O'Reilly and Bozak somewhere salary-wise. So on a three-year deal, that makes sense. I think it was like, what was it, six and a half or so. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Vegas has a lot of cap room, and they're throwing around not maybe in the sexy way people thought with Tavares and or Carlson, but you know, they're still using it, I guess. So props to them. Maybe. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And you know, the thing about Stasny is I had heard that Winnipeg actually offered him more than what the Knights did that they, wow. they actually offered him three years at seven and a half million. Wow. Because I know his agent originally was waiting to see what um, Tavares got. Because his agent, according to NHL Network, was telling people three to four years, seven to eight million dollars a year. And I was shocked. 
something's going on. I don't know if the wires were crossed. And Stasny told his agent, I want to go to the Knights. But then his agent was still trying to play Winnipeg and says, hey, we'll come to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll let Ian chime in on it too. But, I mean, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that they gave him more money. I don't know. I mean, they both had incredible years last year. Obviously, Vegas beat, you know, Winnipeg in the finals or in the conference finals. I still think giving an honest evaluation of each team, you'd be insane not to think Winnipeg's a better position long-term if you're trying to win. So, uh, you know, that's, that makes a lot of sense. But maybe Paul Stastny, um, the only thing I would say, maybe he wanted to go to a market where there maybe was a little less scrutiny on him, but he did really well in his time with Winnipeg. So even that, I mean, I can't, you know, if they gave him more money, I have no idea what brought him to uh, Vegas, if that's the case. Yeah, I know Stephen and I were a little bit worried that Paul Stasny might end up being the Blues retread uh, uh, this summer when we were just sitting there <laughs> thinking, well, we need a center. We need a second-line center, and who's the best option out there? Like, well, Paul Stasny. <laughs> and uh, I had heard those rumors that he was uh, he was looking for $8 million, and I was like, there's just no way. He's, there's no way he can be making more. Uh, especially playing for the Blues, like, I, and I, maybe that's sort of what knocked us out of the running. I hope we weren't in the running at any point, but um, that might have been it. And I think he did a great job while he was here. But yeah, I'm, it's nice he's getting paid somewhere. But it was really weird to hear Vegas. I did not think Vegas was going to be in it at all. And then their name popped up, and I was like, I just, I, I don't see the connection at all. But yeah, they have the cap space, like Steven said, to to be paying them that and. I hadn't. I also hadn't heard that Winnipeg was uh, going to offer him more. Or was offering him yeah. more. So yeah, I don't know. Just a new new team, new smell. Maybe I don't know how close he was with Ryan Reeves. Maybe Reeves sold it to him or something. I'm not entirely sure. Is now that uh, Perron and Neil are gone, I have no idea who he's going to center on a hypothetical <laughs> second line. Yeah, that's a good point. Stuff. It's like I don't know who your offensive threats are on there. We were talking he can center William Carlson, but we joked. I think Stephen joked. I mean, you're centering. What we'll guess is like 15 goal William Carlson and mm-hmm. not 42 goal William mm-hmm. Carlson. Yeah, yeah that, and definitely. He's not, they're not that Nash and and Mercer line. So I don't know. I don't that. I don't want it to happen. I, again, not a team I hold any ill will to, but I could see the the house of cards, if you will, come crumbling down for the Vegas Golden Knights this year. Well, I, I hope it doesn't happen, but it might seem possible. Yeah, I think it is possible, and. Uh, looking over uh, Twitter and some other things around the NHL people's opinions. For some strange reason, the Vegas Knights fans have been voted the best fans in hockey. Well, my take on that is this. Um, You've been in the league one year. You can't be voted the best fans in the league. And some of the comments were, we made it. We made it to the the Stanley Cup finals in our first year. Uh, This is going to happen a lot. I've got, just a couple things to say to them. Look at the St. Louis Blues. They made it to the Stanley Cup the first couple years, and 51, 52 years later, we still haven't made it back to the Stanley Cup. So don't count your chickens before they hatch, Stephen. Yep, that's what I mean. I don't know how you can be the best fan in anything if you've literally never faced adversity. Um, and and they had a, a, a you know, and, and not taking anything away from the Knights, one what they did last year was magical is really the only word for it, but they had just an absolutely charmed inaugural season. And, and when you're the hot new thing in an entertainment town and 
and you're that successful, of course, you're going to have rabid fans. But, you know, if they aren't very good in a couple of years and they're trading off assets, we'll see uh, how great those fans still are. And the Raiders are in town and they've got a basketball team. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what the longevity of the Knights are. But, um, yeah, that's a little suspect. I think, you know, fans of plenty of other franchises, including some we're not all that fond of, like Nashville and Chicago, would have a few things to say about that. I would think so, too. And uh, going from one expansion team to another possible expansion team, Seattle uh, situation, it it just baffles me, uh, Ian and Steven, because uh, Gary Bettman, who we all know is everybody's favorite uh, commissioner, um, keeps acting like Hall of Fame commissioner. There you. you go. I forgot about that. I, don't get me going about that. Um, <laughs> has said, oh, this isn't a done deal. Seattle's not getting a team. It's not a done deal. They've got to do a lot. There are a lot more steps they can take. Is anybody buying that bull crap? Really? Are you guys buying that? No, no, not at all. Yeah, you want to take the first stab? <laughs> yeah, I think they're, they're what is it? I think their draft, their expansion draft is in 2020, like for sure. Like, and the league's preparing for it like that. The owners, or I should say the GMs are preparing for it like that after being sort of burned by Vegas this time around. I mean, it's their own doing, but they've sort of learned. And we were going over the UFAs that were being signed this summer, and there's a lot of three-year deals. There are a lot of three-year deals. But the thought that the expansion draft will be in 2020 and that these teams will have these guys that they – don't necessarily need, you know, older guys, maybe in their sort of, I guess, mid thirties at that point that they can say, Hey, we've got a, you know, a David Perron, if you will, I guess he's got four years, but I guess a Tyler Bozak, 5 million, one year, um, you know, won't protect them or something like that. You know, you guys can have them, you know, it's someone that is in our plans for now, but we know that he's someone maybe we don't protect down the line. And there were tons of those across the league. So I think the league's prepared for it. Whatever um, Gary Bettman saying, I think seems a little silly. I mean, you see what the uh, what Vegas has done for this league. They've brought a lot of new fans. They've brought a lot of excitement into a market that you know didn't really have any business being a hockey market. And I would think Seattle is much more a hockey market than Vegas ever was going to be or ever was thought to be. And I think the expansion fee for them is six would be six hundred fifty million dollars, which is one hundred fifty million more than what Vegas brought in. There's Gary Bettman can say what he wants, but I think the money is what's talking. That's ex- that's exactly right. And I'm concerned, guys, that Gary Bettman, and I'll remember a quote from about four years ago when they were talking about saving the Coyotes, how it was so important to save the Coyotes because the future, and Gary Bettman said this, he said, the future of the NHL is in warm weather cities. And when he said that, I kind of thought to myself, really? Warm weather cities where kids normally aren't going to play hockey. You know, you might have some of that Astro ice, as they call it, where kids play in some leagues. But he has definitely shied away from Canada, which really upsets me, Stephen, because, you know, I've always loved the Canadian teams. That's where it started. I used to do a lot of business up in, up in Canada in my past life before I'm doing this now. And those people up there just love hockey. He passed over Quebec. Now he's saying $650 million for this new franchise in Seattle. And from all the business people I'm talking to up in Canada, there's no group up there that can afford to pay 
from what people are saying, the next expansion team and maybe 2023 or 2024, Gary Bettman has told people it's going to be probably 800 to 900 million dollars. Nobody in Canada can afford that. How do you think, guys, this is going to affect the Canadian market? Yeah, I mean, uh, so the best thing I think and the worst thing I think that you can say about Gary Bettman is that he's all about the money. Um, there are ways in which that's worked really well for the league. You know, the Vegas expansion, I don't think you can call anything but just an incredible grand slam level success. And it's made a lot of money for the owners and for the league. Um, but yeah, I mean, look at, look at what Winnipeg did. Atlanta sure. is what the fifth largest city in America yes. some, somewhere right in there, top five or 10. Winnipeg is, with all due respect to Winnipeg, it is a podunk nothing town. It makes St. Louis look like a metropolis. Yes, it does. I've been there several and, times. And, uh, you know, the Jets fans are crazy about that team. And you go to any any arena in Canada, you're paying, you know, 80 to $100 for nosebleed seats. Yep. I mean, you can't get in the building. And, and you know, that's, that part is maybe not the best thing for, you know, the game either because you want to have people be able to get to games that want to come. But, like, yeah, I mean, the support in Canada is rabid. I think, you know, it was fun for a while there that year where no Canadian team made the playoffs was kind of fun. Cause it's like, Hey, you know, a lot of the media guys slant towards Canada. It's kind of fun to have a laugh at their expense, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's much better for this team, for this league rather uh, when Canadian teams are successful in Canadian markets, you know, uh, the Quebec city wants a team. They want the Nordiques back and they deserve um, one. They really deserve one. I've, I went they, up there when they were going through their expansion thing. And the people were just so excited about it. And I know Vegas was a success, guys. But I think Quebec would have been just as much of a success. They got an arena there, brand new arena. And they probably, it would be like Toronto where, or like uh, Green Bay Packers in the NFL to where when people die, they pass their tickets on. I don't think you're going to see that in American City with the NHL. No, yeah, not at all. And I think, you know, with with – Batman, it's again a double-sided, you know, talking out of both sides of his mouth. Because in in one city, he'll say, "Well, all you need is an arena. You know, you just have to have to have that set up, and and then we'll do everything we can to keep you." And then Quebec says, "Hey, we've got an arena, you know," and he says, "I can't hear you, basically, you know." And <laughs> uh, there's, you know, I know there's a, a third group in in the Ontario area, Tor- Toronto area that wants the team. Um, any if you can make Winnipeg again a town I think of like 200,000 people. If that, if you can make that a thriving NHL market, you should just examine any Canadian market and, and, you know, Seattle, all due respect, their, their fans are rabid, but it's certainly something of a risk to see how they'll take to hockey. You know, they've taken to every other sport, but there's no risk when you put it, when you put a team, in, in a Canadian market, you can be certain that the building will be full every night. Uh, and that is not a guarantee you can get when you expand to places like Sunrise, Florida and Glendale, Arizona. Yeah. And, you know, he keeps pushing, like I talked about earlier, we talked about the Arizona Coyotes. To me, it's a no brainer, guys. It's a no brainer. You've got a team that's struggling. They're going to continue to struggle. And I know some people that live out there and go to the games. They are just rabid hockey fans. 
but the average person out there just is not. And that's, that's just the way it is. There's too much stuff to do in the desert. There's just too much nice weather. Everybody wants to go outside. I would personally move Ian. I would move. And you can give your thoughts too, Stephen. I, I would move the coyotes to Quebec. It's a simple solution. The league's going to get more money from all the fans up there. People up there are going to go nuts. You're going to be sold out every night. People are going to be outside scalping nosebleed seats for $150 a piece, and it's going to be a big win for them, guys. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think they need to be moved. It's the constants. We're not moving them. You know, we're keeping them here. We're going to build an arena or something that's closer to downtown. It's not just way out in Glendale, in the middle of nowhere. And, it's they're constantly just, you know, bending over backwards to keep this team there. That's just doesn't seem to be, I'm sure it's hemorrhaging money. Um, and it would do so much better up in Canada. My thought with the coyotes too, has always been that when they talked about possibly having, I think earlier this year, like a Houston as a, a team or yeah. as a city that might receive a team. And or I was San like, well, Antonio. yeah, exactly. And I was like, you know, if you, if you want to keep, you know, teams in the warm weather, maybe move the coyotes to Houston. You have your, your conferences lined up a little bit more divisions lined up after Seattle joins, but yeah, they, I just don't see them sticking around in Arizona and I'd, I'd love Quebec to get a, a team. I'd love to see those old Nordiques jerseys again. I think that's an amazing logo. If we're just going on aesthetics alone, um, that's, it's a city that needs one. It's a city that I think deserves one. Um, I think it would be fun to have a Montreal, uh, Quebec City rivalry. Oh, that'd again. be great. Uh, that's that's. I mean, uh, that's within my time frame. But I was I was a wee lad when that was going on, and so it would be amazing to see. I think it's something that, like you said, it's maybe the league sees it as a risk just because they, I don't know, they don't know what they have in a Canadian market, which seems kind of silly. But I think you're right. If you put them up there, you're going to see just as much, if not more, excitement as we saw with Vegas. And I think it's going to invigorate the country, really. I mean, like I said, if you have a rivalry with Montreal, Montreal's jacked for that. They're so happy. I think anyone in that conference is happy. I think anyone in that country's happy for that. I'm not entirely sure why they shy away from it. Maybe they know it's such a, I don't know, a guarantee that they decide we're going to put, keep this in our back pocket when we really need it. That's the only thought I've ever had for why they keep um, from expanding into Canada more. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I, you hear one of the things I always hear in defense of Arizona is like, well, you know, they put a team in Arizona 20 years ago, and 20 years later, a kid from Arizona, you know, with, you know, Arizona native uh, named Austin Matthews falls in love with the sport because he's got a hometown team and he becomes you know, one of the elite players in the league. And that's that's wonderful, and that's, that is certainly a mark in favor of, you know, Arizona. But that's not a reason to keep a team there because one generational player fell in love with hockey. You know, I mean, it's, as great as Austin Matthews is, there would have been other great players from other towns if he had never loved hockey. Um, and it's just, I mean, to me, it's an embarrassment for the league when you tune into a game and it's like, hey, uh, the Blues are playing, uh, you know, stop picking on Arizona for a minute, the, the Hurricanes or the Panthers at, you know, 2 p.m. on a Saturday, and you see more seats than human beings in that arena. I mean, there's <laughs> nobody even in the lower bowl uh, to fill an arena, and it's just like, man, this is this is not a good look for your, your team. And I know, you know, we can they could have a whole hour conversation about how bad their TV deal is too, but, like, 
you know, whatever people are watching on TV, that doesn't look like a, a place you want to go be a part of the atmosphere. And that's, to me, what makes hockey so unique, you know, and so incredible among American sports is that atmosphere at the arena and even on home hearing the, you know, hearing the arena sounds and everything, you know, and, and man, it's just some dead zones out there. And, and why, you know, why you would rather have a team. I mean, there's no answer I can give you, but why you would rather have a team in those markets instead of having a thriving, vibrant, you know, passionate fan base and a Quebec and in Ontario, you know, they're in a, in a Saskatoon even, I don't know, you know, what, how tenable that is, but there's so many, even mid-sized, you know, Canadian cities know they don't marvel the size and scale of a Phoenix or, you know, a, 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 you know, even a Raleigh or anything, but the passion is just off the charts and, and I just don't understand it. I really don't. Yeah. I think in all honesty, I think I watch more Coyotes games last year than probably the average person within a hundred mile radius of their stadium. If you watch two, I think you can say that pretty comfortably. Yeah. I probably watched about 10 or 12 just to see Keller. Uh (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Great guy. You know, he's, I'm sad that he's in that city. I hope it works out great for him, but uh, we'll get uh, going here. W- one thing I did want to talk to you guys is a couple Blues players before we end the podcast that I think the Blues need to move on from. One of them they probably will after next year. Another one was offered his RFA offer, and I'm just I, – I, I can't see this guy leave sooner. What is up, Stephen, with the Blues – infatuation and maybe it's Armstrong, maybe it's Coach Mike with Dimitri Yashkin. Uh you mean the next Marion Hosa? No. Um <laughs> I yeah. thought it was Alexander McGilney. <laughs> <laughs> I, all I know and, and Ian remembers it more clearly than I is that Ken Hitchcock once likened him to Marion Hosa. I remember that. Um yeah. Yaskin's a frustrating player because, I mean, I I think on his best days you can still see what he might be, but it's just, I mean, he's just never put it together, and I don't know why you're giving him another year to put it together. And I, I almost wonder if you extend him a qualifying offer because, you know, you've talked to teams and there's some interest, and, hey, maybe it's a piece we can throw into a, a bigger package and, and do something, I don't know, I, I also don't know where he plays in this lineup. That's one of the question marks that remains. I don't either. That bottom six, even getting rid of Saboka and uh, Bergwin, that bottom six still pretty darn crowded, and um, it doesn't do any of those players any good to get you know a fifty games a season or whatever the number might be. You know, and and yeah, with Yaskin, uh, move on. You know. Uh, if you can, if you can deal him somewhere, I'll, by all means, do it. But I think the story is kind of written for him in St. Louis, and, and I don't, again, no ill will there. But, yeah, I just don't see what the infatuation is for sure. And, uh, Stephen, the other guy, and you probably know I'm going to say, Chris Thorburn. Uh, I, I'm i sure you've been about as impressed <laughs> with him as I have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chris Thorburn to me was just a move you didn't need to make in response to the Ryan Reeves move. Uh, you you trade a guy uh, in Ryan Reeves who you know everybody in St. Louis loves him. I don't think we need to say that every time. The personality is is off the charts. Uh, 
Um, I'm sure I've never met him in person. I'm sure he's an incredibly likable dude in person. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you trade that guy basically for a first round pick, which was laughable to me at the time. I mean, to get basically Quim cost him for that guy is absurd, even in hindsight. Um, but you, you trade that guy because he's an expendable asset on your team. And, and that to me is a, a mold of player that's dying out in the league is the, the fourth line fighter guy. Sure. I just, you know, in five to 10 years, there just won't be those players in the league anymore. Um, and so why army panicked? I don't want to say panicked, but why army felt, well, we have to have that role filled. I think it's a little bit of Army's kind of old school mentality and then why you had to give Thorburn a two-year deal. I don't know. He, he's not going to get any playing time this year. I can't imagine. I don't know where he plays. So, you know, cut him if you can. I mean, I would just eat the cap space on him and just not have that contract on the roster personally. Yeah, I'm sure the payout on him to cut him is not going to cost him that much. And why keep the guy on the roster when he's going to play – 35 games, maybe 40 games and play what four minutes. There's, there's just no excuse yeah. for it. You can give one of the other guys more playing time, figure out something because and I don't hate the guy, but he, he just is at the point in his career to where he's just not worth very much ice time. Yeah. I mean, it's never anything personal with most of these guys, but he played 50 games last year, you know, and, and, he had a, an almost 60% face-off percentage on 12 face-off attempts, so maybe that's why we're keeping him around. But, um, yeah, I mean, he he is is just a mold of player that I think is dying out in the league. Um, how I mean, honestly, he was, he was on the Winnipeg. He was on the Winnipeg Jets so long, he was an Atlanta thrasher. He was on them for almost a full decade. Yes, so how is. that even happened, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, Again, nothing against him. I know he's a really good guy. I know he, you know, his family. I think his son has autism. I think he was pretty public about that last year. Yes. And and all credit to him for for fighting hard in that in that tough life circumstance. Yeah, he's a great nothing guy. Personal. Not yeah, exactly. It's nothing personal at all. But just I don't see what his role is on this team, especially this upcoming year. Yeah, I'm gonna finish the podcast up here. Uh, I got one more question. 10 years from now, who's going to be in the league and who's going to be the better player that's going to be talked about more? So we're talking about the year 2028. Vince Dunn or Colton Pareko? And I'll let you both answer that. Oh, I'll let Ian go first. Because I just want to steal his answer. <laughs> um, man. I would have to say Colton Pareko, but I think that's only just because I've seen a greater body of work. I, at this point, I think maybe Vince might have the higher offensive ceiling, but I think, Colton, you know, I think Colton Breaker is going to be talked about more, but I don't think he's going to be talked about um, as much because he's a St. Louis blue. I'll put it that way. I think he'll be, I think he'll be gone. He'll be a first pairing somewhere else. I think um, so whether or not, whether or not it's him being absolutely outstanding there, I don't know, but I think he'll just get a greater word of mouth. Um, by being a first pairing on another team. Um, but I think, I think he's got, I mean, we've seen he has the tools to be what he currently is. I'd be interested to see if he can play a first pairing role. And I think he, I think he can, 
Um, has the offensive tools. I don't know necessarily about the playmaking ability that you might want in a first pairing defenseman from Petrangelo, who has just, you know, hockey IQ out the wazoo. Um, I don't know if I necessarily have seen that out of Pareko, but I mean, he's, he's a threat on the power play. We've, we've already mentioned he's got an amazing shot. Uh, he's, he's really good defensively, which I think some people might miss. He's had a few lapses last year, but for a guy that's really tall, he's not necessarily overly physical, but man, he's, certainly as an active stick. It's as long as hell. He's keeping people as far back as he can. I think the only thing I'd like to see him do more is maybe close the gap a little bit. Um, but I think he's he's outstanding, and I think it's the league's finding that out and the league's trying to offer as much as they can for him. And I think he'll, I think he'll be talked about more than Vince Dunn, but I think Vince Dunn has the potential to be maybe a, a Kevin Shattenkirk sort of player, maybe, you know, more than that too. But I think he's definitely, we've seen that he's uh, got power play quarterback potential potential there. And uh, he's got speed to burn. I'm I'm very interested to see what he does this year with the blues in the sophomore year. But yeah, I'd say Colton Pareko would be my bet. I think to make things interesting, I agree that it's probably Colton Pareko, but I'll make an argument for Vince Dunn. Um, I think, you know, with Colton Pareko, all the physical tools are there. We want to see him take that shot more often. But I don't know if this is really a slap shot league anymore. I mean, that shot's always going to play when it's that hard, when it's coming into you, you know, from that big a guy. It's always going to play. I'm not trying to discredit that. But he's not firing it off enough. And, you know, I don't know if he's getting enough space or making enough space for himself to do it. Uh, Vince Dunn to me is kind of the prototype of a puck moving uh, defenseman that, you know, we talk about as being the future of defense and hockey. Um, and, and, you know, his kind of the mark against him is he's a lefty, which tends to be a little less valuable, but if you're a first line defenseman, you're a first line defenseman regardless. Um, yeah. And I think the hockey IQ is there for him. Uh, I think Ian is right on by saying that if Pareko is not here, you know, let's say there is a trade to Toronto and Pareko is the centerpiece of their D, well, he's going to win by default because he's a Maple Leaf. But uh, man, I mean, one of the things we kind of we kind of almost surprised ourselves uh, on an episode recently. I, I think the last one, just because we never talk about our D in St. Louis because it's such a like that's the thing that's kind of set in stone and and it's just such an embarrassment of riches to have that top four on defense with Petrangelo and Edmondson and Pareko and Dunn. Uh, you've got two, you know, power play quarterbacks. You've got two uh, kind of stalwart defensemen you can mix and match. And then it, it almost doesn't matter who your third line is because those two lines are going to play, you know, 20 minutes or 50 minutes total, you know, together. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really great to have both of them, honestly, and they're going to be a fun line to watch this year, assuming that they both remain with the team. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. I The way I look at it is Dunn's not your big defenseman. He's got a little bit to him. He's six foot two or three, but like you said, he's the new typical guy that everybody's looking for, the guy that can move the puck, be decent defensively. Um, I think he's uh, 10 years from now, if he's still in the league, I think he's going to be known more as a solid defensive guy, but he's going to be no more for his scoring than Pareko, and Pareko's going to be just the opposite. He's going to be known as a guy that's got some good offensive skills and a good shot, but he's going to be known for his physical play. Yeah, I think I'd agree perfect. with that. I think that's exactly right. Uh, one thing I'm happy about with this podcast, guys, and I don't know if this happens with you when you have a podcast, 
But the thing that's positive to me, there was so much positive stuff happen over the weekend, and we're all looking forward to the season. We didn't talk about Jay Bowmeister. <laughs> we didn't. And we no. can keep it that way. I'm going um. to keep it that way. I'll just say one thing, and I'll get your opinion quickly. Both of you can comment. Number one, the Blues should not have brought him back when he was hurt last year. They shouldn't have done it. I said it was too soon when they did. Number two, everybody wants to just drop him and wave him, but then they got to pay the guy $3.6 million against the cap. Nobody's going to want him you know, for the amount of money he's getting. Play the guy 10 to 12 minutes. Put him, Lower him on your, on your defensive ranks. Put him down there at the bottom. Let him play 10 to 12 minutes. Let him finish out the year as a blue. And I think if you cut his time down from the 20, 22 minutes, 19 minutes, 25 minutes, this guy has played all his career with Calgary and the Blues now. He may not be great, but I don't think he's going to be a liability as much if you play him 10 to 12 minutes. Yeah, I'd say 100%. That's a guy that's, it's more we would have had the Iron Man record there yeah. for a while and yeah. he got hurt. And that's, after that, it kind of seemed like he got hurt a lot. Um, and, I, I agree. I think if you play him down, you play him. Uh, you can play him on the PK a fair amount still, which I think he's still effective in. Um, I think he'd be a great. He's always going to be a pretty decent asset for the Blues. But I think you can really highlight what strengths he has left. Um, he's not. He's kind of lost a step in his skating, and that was one of his biggest attributes. Yes. So I think yeah, playing him a little less will kind of be able to rest him. So if he ever does need that sort of jump in his step, he he might have it. I've I've liked him here, but yeah, it's one of those things where I'm, I agree. We brought him back too soon last year, and also it may have just coincided with this, but it definitely felt like as we added people back last year from injury, this team slowly kind of slowly kind of fell apart. Sure did. Um, and it just felt like maybe these came back a little too soon. Maybe it kind of upset the the juju of this team kind of gelling together. So, but yeah, I think he's still a valuable asset. I've always thought if you could have Gunnarsson and Bomeister as your third pairing. That's still an insane third pairing for the NHL as far as I'm concerned. For two guys, will be playing, yeah, like 10 minutes a game of even strength time at least. Yeah, I mean, talk about that same phrase, embarrassment of riches. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. And, and everything you said was perfect about moving him down to that role and letting him play there. I think, you know, I think the, the Jay Bomeister tenure in St. Louis probably won't be remembered as fondly as it should. Uh, when we traded for him, everybody was clamoring for him. Everybody thought he was the perfect partner. He was for freaky Angelo fast. He was freaky fast. Yeah. Back then. And I, I was oh, watching yeah. some of the games, some highlights from him. I think he's lost more in a step because when he came into the Blues, I, I remember telling my, telling everybody around me, this guy's 6'4", and he skates like that? And it, it was he has a deceptive stride. Yeah, that was what it was amazing as he – he wouldn't look like he was trying that hard, and then he'd just be across the ice, and it was just like, well, how to get there? You know, he didn't move his legs, and um, yeah, I and as Ian said, we traded for the Iron Man guy, and it just caught up to him. And I don't, you know, it's not his fault, but you play a thousand NHL games uninterrupted, <laughs> you're just, it's just going to catch up to you, you know. And it it did to him, and so he missed a lot of times with injury. But I think Jay Bowmeister's the mold of guys. You know, I think Barrett Jackman was one. I think Carl Gunnarsson's another one. Where if you have a defensive defenseman, most fans, you know, and and not to pat ourselves on the back, but the average observer 
only noticing those guys when they're making mistakes. True. And they're not going to track the fact that they're only noticing those guys four times a season because they only make four mistakes a season. But, you know, I mean, that's an exaggeration, obviously. But, you know, Jay Bomeister didn't do anything flashy, so his name was only on your radar if he made a mistake, and he made those extremely rarely. But if all you're thinking about are his mistakes, obviously he's going to get a bad rap. So uh, if he played on a third-line role, you know, you're obviously paying him too much to do that, but you can't do anything about that now. Um, I would hate to see him kind of fade out just due to injury. So if he could do that on a third-line role and then maybe be a veteran for another year or two for a team that, you know, was – not as competitive as the Blues, that'd be great. I'd love to see him kind of rehab a little bit his career and and have a good season for the Blues. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page there. I want to thank you guys for joining me. You guys want to tell everybody where they can find you, what your Twitter feed is, your website, so on and so forth, and where they can find your podcast. Yeah, sure. Um, our our best way to reach us is, is just on Twitter, at two guys, no cup, all spelled out in words. Uh, no S on the cups at the end there. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm at Stephen Ground. Ian, what's your individual handle? I know you don't use it a ton. I think it's just Ian A. Peters. That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the best one is definitely that, that Twitter handle where our podcast is on uh, SoundCloud. We always link it through the Twitter and pin the tweet, but you can find it on SoundCloud. It's also on iTunes and Google Play. I don't have a website yet something we're hoping to do so you can find more details on that as it happens through the Twitter, but that's kind of the hub to, you know, sort of find all our stuff. That's where I share my writing. I'm writing with hockey writers now and I'm excited about that. So that's where you go to find us. I think for the most part. Well, great. Congratulations on that hockey writers gig. And I hope all the fans of the show will tune into your guys' podcast. I know they all love our podcast, but Hey, the more blues you can listen to and listen to guys talk about, uh, that's got to be fun for the normal fan. Guys, I appreciate it. I want to thank you for joining me. You're welcome on the show anytime. I'm sure we'll talk again before the beginning of the season, and maybe if the blues do something here in the next couple weeks, we might talk again even after that. But uh, you guys have a great rest of your night, and uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Drop Podcast. If you want to download this episode, past episodes, or subscribe to The Drop, you can find us online at droppodcast.com, iTunes, and iHeartRadio. You can follow us on Instagram at the.drop.podcast or on Twitter at OfficialTheDrop. For more information about Lineup Media FM or The Drop Podcast, email us at info at lineupmediagroup.com or lanceD at droppodcast.com. Until next time, let's go blues. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.